Hello and welcome to Killing It the Crime Cast. I'm Lux. And I'm Sam. And what do we talk about? Murder. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, do we have any updates? I mean, obviously, the Golden State Killer was apprehended. Oh my God. That was insane. If you want a little bit more information about just what happened immediately after the apprehension and after they did a, what's it called when you get all the people with the newspapers and whatnot and they do a press release oh my god that yeah, was you got you got there eventually <laughs> yeah the whole true crime community is just losing their fucking minds they're yeah. all going crazy you're a bartender and, and you got in he uh yeah he got in really late and i was asleep and i just sort of i woke up because he walked in i rolled over and i went babe they caught the golden state killer <laughs> and then i just sort of went back to sleep <laughs> it was really funny i wasn't like how was your day honey how was work i was just like they caught him. <laughs> and like, that was everything that was important in that moment. Um, so yeah, really exciting. And um, My Favourite Murder did a thing about, a thing, an episode after the press release, just sort of going over what was said and all of this exciting stuff and all the new information that's come out. Turns out it was an ex-cop, which is just like, in hindsight, like, a duh. Oh man, that's so crazy. But it's, but it's just extra creepy that it was confirmed. And he's, I think he's 72 now. Yeah. The thing that's bothering me the most, I don't know if I've told you about this actually. Oh yeah. I haven't read up much on it because it pissed me off when I <laughs> when I saw these articles. But essentially, apparently some of the uh, rape survivors said that during the act he like said something like mommy at some point. What? Yeah, so he like was or he was like this is because of you mommy or something like that. Just really weird like mommy references. But one victim said that it sounded like Bonnie. Right. And it turns out he'd actually dated someone called Bonnie. And so they're think and so they're thinking like, oh, maybe when she like dumped him, that exacerbated whatever mental health problems, or maybe yeah. it made him snap, blah, blah, blah. Which is it which is interesting. But now apparently people are like, Oh, let's find Bonnie, let's find out what she did. And I'm like, bitch, she didn't do anything. This guy's a psycho. It's like <laughs> she's probably if if she exists, she's probably just a normal human being who realized the person she was with was fucking crazy. Yeah, exactly. And was like, I'm Audi. And she didn't do anything. I know. That's why I like didn't read articles that I saw that was, you know, let's find Bonnie. Because I was like, no, le- leave her alone. <laughs> yeah, let, let Bonnie live her life. Um, but yeah, anyway, in the show notes, I'll include a link to that My Favourite Murder episode. Because it's a really nice rundown. And they get an investigative investigative journalist who was friends with Michelle McNamara. Who mo- wrote I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah. Um, and he's been like sort of writing about the case and stuff. Um, they, get, they get him on the phone and he is a guest on the show. It's re- mm-hmm. it's just a really good little update. And if you don't know much about it, there's a couple of podcasts out there I'm sure you can find with just background on on the Golden State Killer. Yeah, but true crime-wise, this is big. This is big stuff. This is real big. Do you have anything else you need to say at the beginning? Um, I think we're good. Um, we're going to do a promo on the Cult of Domesticity, which is another true crime podcast. Um, we've been in touch with them. They're lovely ladies. Um, we'll do that about halfway through the show. So keep an ear out. Yeah, it'll be right in the middle between our two stories. Yep. Speaking of our stories, tell me your story. Lovely segue, so oh, natural, no. oh, God, so I'm smooth. So, I'm so good at this. So this is an Australian one, so watch out. My accent's going to get All right. real no, no, real bad. A little bit of background. It's going to get I'm, bad. I am originally Australian. <laughs> You're from Sydney. I'm originally from Sydney. And obviously my accent is completely gone. I've been in England for far too long. But this is going to really annoy me. I know. My accent? <laughs> is it going to annoy you? 
it's, I'm aware it's, that it's awful. It's very New Zealand, your Australian accent. It's kind of halfway between, you guys will pick it up. It's kind of halfway between South African and New Zealand. Yeah, it goes quite South African. Um, but apologies if you are an Australian listener, because A, my accent's awful, and B, this is actually quite a well-known case in Australia, but I'm pretty sure you've not heard of it, which is why I'm telling you about it, and also because it's just really interesting. Go, let's, let, right. tell me. So this is the case of the granny killer. Granny killer? Yeah, he kills grannies. Oh my God. Um, few content warnings. There's some elderly women who die in this. There's also a bit of like sexual assault and and whatnot. But um, here I go. So I'm going to tell you about about the murders to start with. And I'm going to tell you about this dude. Okay, go. So 1st of March, 1989. So far before you were alive and in Sydney. Mm-hmm. So, that is, you know, you, you you might not have been aware of this. I always like it when people tell me information and then immediately relate it to my life. Where it's like, you know what, oh, this happened in uh, Spain, which is, uh, you know, not where you were. Can I talk about the granny murders now? Is that all right? Is that all right with you? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, go, go right ahead. <laughs> all right. So 1st of March, 1989, 82-year-old Gwendolyn Michael Hill. So um, she was found dead on her front doorstep. And um, by the t- this is a reoccurring thing in this case. By the time the police got there to the crime scene, because... Obviously, you you see an old woman has fallen over, and people are like, "Oh, maybe she, you know, maybe she just fell, maybe she had like a heart attack, maybe I've fallen and I can't get up." Yeah, yeah, like like something like that. So that's what you immediately think happens. Obviously, neighbors go to to revive her, and she's dead. So they call the police, and bless them, they washed down the crime scene. Oh no, that. That's uh, happens so often, and it's so sad. Yeah. So the neighbor was it, like, "Oh, this is ki- this is kind of a mess. Let's just clean this up it's for these her." People who think they're being like so helpful, and it's just the least helpful. It's thing like you're possible. ruining all of the evidence. Like, bless you, but please, please no. Just, just wait. Um, so her purse was missing from her handbags. So they're thinking maybe she was maybe she was killed because of money, whatever. Um, and it it became clear when they were doing autopsies that she, it was. It was not that she'd fallen down. She'd been hit over the head with a blunt object. Right. So the, the wound wasn't consistent with her falling. There were no witnesses to this, despite the fact it was pretty much in the m- mid-afternoon. It was around 4 p.m.-ish. And all of these crimes happen around this time. So okay. like broad daylight, bold crimes. Well, they were all probably off having dinner. <laughs> what, the elderly? The elderly. <laughs> probably why there were no witnesses, yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so two months go by, there's no leads, they've not got a lot of evidence, obviously, because of the sweet, sweet neighbour. Um, and then there's another ta- attack, and this time it's on an elderly man, and this is the only one i found that's been on a man. Um, but there wasn't really much to explain that, so I'm just going to tell you what happened, but I don't know how close to his MO this actually is, it seems like an outlier to me. Um he, he was attacked and, you know, he was mugged, basically. But he survived and he they made a composite sketch and that was made public for the police to try and get any leads. And the sketch is quite funny, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna put it in the show notes as well. Um, then Lady Winifreda, unfortunately, she was attacked and did not survive. This is on the 9th of May, 1989. Um, so this is all happening within, like, the span of a year or so. And she only lived about a, kil- a kilometre away from Gwendolyn, who was the first victim. So it's all in the same area, all within a couple of months. Um, so police are obviously freaking out with it. And this time they do manage to find some evidence. They find some grey hairs on Lady Winifreda's white glove. Because she's an old lady and old ladies wear gloves. Oh. So she's wearing these white gloves. And obviously as like a defence, she tries to like pull her attacker's hair. And she f- they find these short grey hairs on the white glove. Um, and they they thought, you know, 
maybe it's from the attacker. Like, obviously. There was a slight difference in this attack, though, because her pantyhose had been taken off. And so they're thinking, what are they thinking? Sexual assault. They're thinking there's some sort of sexual element to this. They're like, mm. You know who would have been great for the game? Boston Strangler. Yes. Oh, I was going to do the game and I was going to say Boston Strangler and I was going to say, um, who's that one? Again, Henry Lee Lucas. Is he the one with the with the mum who was a sex worker who made him watch and the dad who pushed pencils? Yep. Yeah, I was going to do that one as well. And also Ed Kemper. A yeah. Oh, bit. okay. Okay. Wow. Quite, quite several then. Mm. And um, a little bit of uh, Gein as well. Okay. okay. So, oh, oh, wow. So, what, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, because the Boston Strangler killed old ladies and uh, strangled them with their own nylon tights yeah. and stockings. Yeah. So, there wasn't much money taken from the victim, um, but the crime is clearly escalating. So, they're thinking, why is this person taking the money when it's literally like a few dollars? It's not much. Every time that there's like a mugging or, or an attack, it's not much money and the person ends up dead. And now it looks like there's a se- sexual aspect. So, what the heck is this guy thinking like he's not doing it to get money mm-hmm. so obviously like serial killers tend not to do it for money so this is like the beginning of them thinking right we've got like some sort of psycho on our on our hands um and because of this sexual element they thought that maybe it was a young victim which i think they shouldn't have made that link because of the gray hairs i don't think they should have made a link to a young victim right but nevertheless they did they said who's who's ultra sexual Young people. Young'uns. Who's who's just desperate to fuck? Young'uns. The youths. The young Australian youth. Um, yeah, and also um, there are, another reason that they're thinking it might be a youth is that, like I said, the crimes are happening around 4pm. And they're thinking, well, youths get out of school at around 3, so a youth would have plenty of time. Whereas <laughs> okay. your average worker is working 9 till 5. So, yeah. you know, it, it, it makes sense, kind of, but at the same time... But at the same time, your average retired person is also free all day. Exactly. And the, they would have grey hair. Huh. So they think it might be a student... Whatever. I don't think that's a lead they should have followed, but nevertheless, they did. Well, you know what? With the grey hair and the times, I would have suspected silver-haired French bull terriers. They don't have a job at all. Short grey hairs. They got nothing to do. They have, like, no money, so even a couple of dollars would have helped. (laughs) You know they're sexually motivated. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Just humping the air? Just humping everything. These old ladies just being like, come on, little doggy. We're going to go for a little walk. (laughs) Go for a walk? Come around, and he's just like... Fuck you, mate. I'm going to fucking kill you. I've got no money. I've got nowhere to be. And a few dollars to a dog is like the dream because that's how much kibble costs. (laughs) This is revenge for my nuts. (laughs) You bitch. (laughs) Although it's a French bull terrorist who'd be like, this is revenge for my nuts. For my testicles. For my testicles. (laughs) (laughs) On a more serious note, Doris Cox. (laughs) (laughs) This is like the worst time for that to be the victim. Yeah. <laughs> well, with an X, though, when I first did notes, because I was basing it on the documentary, I spelt it as in, like, actual cock. And then I was, like, reading some article, and I was like, no, it's a name, not a cock. Anyway, she was attacked on the 18th of October, 1989. Again, elderly woman. And again, guess what they did to the crime scene? Oh, they cleaned it up. They cleaned it up. Oh, this is so sad and adorable. Because it's it's... It's friends and neighbours being like, oh, no, what's happened here? Oh, her house is a mess. Or, you know, oh, no, her, her doorstep's all bloody. That's so, like, embarrassing. We've got to make her have a clean one. You know, it's just really sweet. It's just but, so sad. But also kind of stupid. So 
people thought she'd fallen down again. So probably why they cleaned the crime scene because they didn't know it was a crime scene. They thought, oh, this lady's fallen. There's blood. We'll clean up the blood yeah. whilst we're waiting for the police or the ambulance or whatever. But she didn't die, actually. Oh, really? Did I say that she died? No, no, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, well, I just assumed. Yeah, well, in any case, Doris Cox actually survived, which is incredible. Good on her. But this is really sad. She had chronic dementia. No. Yeah, so she couldn't remember anything oh, about the event, no. which on the one hand is quite nice because, you know, you're at the end of the, your life. You don't want to have to go through something traumatic that's probably going to take years to get over because you probably don't have that many years left. You just want to mm. enjoy yourself. So on the one hand, it's quite nice that she couldn't remember. But on the other hand, very sad and also doesn't help with, you know, you know, it, she could have corroborated the composite sketch they had. Mm. She could have you know, said, no, it wasn't a youth or whatever. She she could have helped the investigation, but unfortunately yeah. she did forget everything. But it's it's good that she survived, you know? Yes. You can't keep a good cox down. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, like, I was, I was holding on to that for like, were you? <laughs> for like the whole time you were, were you talking, just I, was just like, I was just like, give me an opening, come on. <laughs> and let me say it. Give me an opening for your cox. <laughs> yeah, give me an opening for cox. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> Um, there were witnesses for this crime, though. Um, they didn't see it happen, but they saw a youth nearby on a skateboard. And because, obviously, these people had been attacked with a blunt object to the head, they thought, maybe it could be a skateboard. Maybe it's a skateboard. <laughs> I think I think this is actually brings up a really interesting issue, because this happened in the Richard Chase case, mm. which is the FBI profiling of Richard Chase. Because it happened, they, they, they were like, oh, we saw a youth nearby, because that's notable. Mm, yeah. In the Richard Chase case, the profiling of the serial killer was that he was like disorganized, probably didn't have a job, but primarily that he was a white man mm. because all the murders happened in a relatively white dominated area. Mm -hmm. So if it were uh, someone of a different ethnic background, they would be notable. They would have been notable and loads of people would have been like, yeah, I saw this guy and this guy. And, and this especially guy. because of the prejudice that like that's yeah, a, that like this exists. incredibly racist area yeah exactly they'd be like i saw a suspicious looking man it's just like a black man on his way to work exactly. you know what i mean like yeah white people are dicks and <laughs> they'll tend to think that people of other ethnicities are suspicious yeah. if they're in their suburb or if whatever. they're in their if we're in a little bubble i have to say ah yeah. oh, because i am a white man and we yeah. are the, we are the worst we're yeah we're the worst um my apologies I, although i feel <laughs> bad white guilt is i feel just... bad apologizing for all white men my... i'm not the spokesman for white men because as hard as as easy as it is being a white man, that's a hard job. <laughs> oh my being god! Like, being like oh, a white man. You. Is it yeah. really difficult to defend your species? <laughs> being like <laughs> being like a white man apologist is just <laughs> that's tough. That's a tough gig. Um, but yeah, so the, obviously this is like in a, a neighborhood where elderly people are living. So they see a youth and they're like, "What are you doing here, boy?" So <laughs> that was so bad. I don't care. I'm gonna keep the, I'm gonna keep doing my accent. I I I would like you to keep doing your accent. All right, mate. I'll keep doing it. <laughs> Okay. Um, so yeah, so they're thinking, all right, well, there's a youth with a skateboard. Skateboard could have been the weapon. Maybe that's a lead. And obviously with the times and possibly being a student let out of school and is available, blah, blah, blah. That they're, they're going with the youth lead, which, spoiler alert, it was not the correct lead to follow. Fair enough, yeah. Um, I assumed not. No. Um, then Margaret Pahord, it's P-A-H-U-D, that's an Australian. Tell me how that's pronounced. I have no idea. Port, maybe? Margaret P -A -H -U -D. Port. P-A-H-U-D. Margaret Port. That sounds a bit... Margaret Port. Yeah. Mar Margaret is a very common name in Australia. Mm. Maggie. I don't know about Port. No, right. It'd be Marge. Oh, would it be Marge? Anyway, she um, 
was attacked on 2nd of November, 1989. Again, still in 1989, still in the same year. So this guy's going berserker. Um, and people thought she'd had a heart attack again. And guess what happened to the scene? Oh, they cleaned it. They cleaned it. <laughs> again, these people are so sweet. They're so lovely. But um, not very helpful, it turns out. So there was no shoe print evidence. There was no evidence of how many times she was hit, which they might have been able to see from like the blood splatter. Yeah. Uh, nothing like this. Um, but they examined the crime scene and they did find a pipe, bell bars, no, barbells. <laughs> Can you tell I don't go to the gym? <laughs> and a fence pole, um, all of which could have been the murder weapon because, yeah. you know, blunt objects, right? But there was no skull fracture, so it wasn't a very heavy weapon. So again, this leads to the skateboard idea. So they're thinking maybe it's a coincidence. Maybe it was still the skateboard. Yeah. Whatever. Within 24 hours of this attack, Olive Cleveland was attacked. Oh, no. Again, they thought she'd fallen. We all know like a lovely old lady called Olive. I know, Olive. Oh, poor Olive. Olive? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm just... What? Olive? Olive? <laughs> Yeah, hello, my name, uh, you're right, Olive. No, sorry, it's actually pronounced Olive. <laughs> Olive. The umlaut suggests falsetto. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, then. Um, again, she'd been strangled with her own pantyhose. Um, and there was some money missing from her purse, but it wasn't notable. Guess what they did to the crime scene. This is getting old, isn't this it? This is because getting it's, really old. Because it's happening every fucking time. It's, it, I mean... At this point, you'd think the police would send out like a PSA and be like, hey, can you stop cleaning when you think your neighbour's fallen over? They probably haven't. Yeah. But again, that would probably spook the elderly. Yeah. In this in this documentary that, I'm, again, I'll put in, in, the, in, a, in the show notes, um, oh, it was really sad. The elderly women were just talking about how they were scared to go around alone. They were going around in pairs. They were scared to go and do their shopping. You know, it was really sad to see these elderly Australian women just being terrified, essentially. Yeah. It was, it's... It's, yeah, they probably just didn't want to spook people too much because they were already spooked as it is. And, you know, you spook an old lady, you don't know what could happen. Oh, my God. Whoa. <laughs> that came out of nowhere. I know. I'm so sorry. Um, so she was actually in a nursing home. So it was like a nursing home apartment that she lived in, I, I'm assuming, because it happened outside her apartment again. Um, they said that maybe she was trying to keep her neck warm and that's why she was wearing the, the stockings around her neck. So the police were like talking to them and, and they were like, you know, oh yeah, it appears that she had stockings tied around her neck. And they were like, oh, maybe she was just trying to keep warm. I mean, no. what's, what's the date of this? The, what's the month? Um, October. That's summer. Oh no, it was November. That's no. more summer. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she was trying to keep she was trying to keep warm because of all that incredible Australian heat. I know, and it was four pm as well, so it's not like it's night time. That's just after the hottest time of the day, in the hottest period of the year, in one of the hottest countries in the world. She was obviously cold. Yeah, I mean, obviously she was just absolutely freezing in this Australian summer heat. So <laughs> seems like a good. Oh no, we're definitely not looking for a strangler. It's just a cold old lady. <laughs> Bless. Um, and then also, the community had a great response to this. So like I said, a lot of the elderly women were, were getting fearful, especially in these retirement homes, because it wasn't just happening on private property. Obviously, this was someone who knew where the retirement homes were and ha sort of had access to them. So the community responded by holding self-defense seminars and teaching oh, elderly women how to defend themselves, oh, that's which really I just nice. think is the best thing you could possibly do. I think that's so lovely, and it's warmed my cold heart. That's really lovely. Yeah. 
Um, so less than two weeks later, Muriel Falconer was strangled and beaten. This is fucked up. There's, okay, a, there's another escalation. So not only is there, you know, the remo- removal of stockings making the police thinking, think it's sexual, but this time the body is posed. Oh my God. And this time... That's very Boston Strangler. Very, right? I definitely should have played the game. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Um, but this time the offender hadn't done it in the alley behind the apartment or on the front front step of the house or apartment. Was it in the house? It was in the house. That is so very evident escalation. Yep. So he'd managed to get inside the house and he had posed the body and he'd put the shoes like really neat. It's really creepy. You know, when you put, when you're displaying shoes in a shop and you put like one on top of the other at like an angle. Oh yeah. Yeah, he did that sort of thing. It was very like meticulous and weird and right. didn't really seem to have like a reason behind it. Okay, okay. Um, and because it was in her house, there wasn't any tampering of evidence. For the first time, no one did a clean up. Thank God, because it wasn't like, oh, her doorstep's a bit bloody. Let me just sweep that up. It was, you know, in the house. So... They found bloody shoe prints. Great. And it looked like a business shoe or a military shoe, which obviously an older person would wear, not a youth. So this is the second bit of evidence other than the gray hairs that shows maybe this isn't a young person. Yeah. Thank fuck. Finally. See what can happen when you don't clean up a crime scene? Yeah. Also, you can probably tell from like the shoe size and the dis- uh, the distance between each shoe print. Uh, that this is not a child. This is a yeah. full grown adult. And also they can do stuff with gait as well. Like, you know, if someone has a yeah. limp, they can tell by the, like, the amount of pressure mm-hmm. that is left by the print. So they can probably tell that it's the gait of an older man and not yeah, like a young man's like swagger or whatever. A young man's swagger. <laughs> and they didn't yeah, <laughs> we're all just sauntering around like we're on a fucking catwalk. <laughs> and old men are just like limping around. No, I've seen my granddad couple years ago my granddad was 87 and he went on like six mile bike rides like every couple of days and i am just a lazy like i was just sort of (laughs) sitting down just like it's 4 p.m and just like i'm tired (laughs) i'm gonna have a nap i don't want to walk to tesco around the corner it's literally less than a five minute just like i'll see you in seven days i'm (laughs) cycling around the andes (laughs) anyway um so also so like i said they thought it was a business shoe or a military shoe and because the posing of the items around the body were very precise, they thought maybe this is someone with military background. This is quite, you know, when you when you go through military training, you go through a lot of like cleanliness and orderliness. I mean, the shoes in particular. Mm. That's very like, if, if it turns out he is a military man, I'd be very interested in that because. it. Yes, he is. Okay, well, good. Because the shoes and like presentation of one's shoes in the mm. military is like paramount. It's mm. so important. Mm. So I think that's really telling. Yeah, so they they were like, okay, so it's probably someone who served in the military, which again leads to not a youth because when would you have had time? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're young. You've not lived properly yet. I say still at university, not with a real job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were um, witnesses from prior attacks that they started interviewing with this new information. And one woman remembered having seen a grey-haired, portly man which matches, obviously, the grey hairs found on the gloves. They're thinking, all right, we've got it. We're not looking for youth anymore. Scrap that. It's a military background, portly, grey-haired man. So um, they went on and interviewed some more people, and they asked if anyone had seen like a, a, this profile. They'd said if, they said, have you seen a man, a man who's middle-aged with grey hair, whatever. And they actually got a lot of responses. So as soon as they start, stopped asking for a youth and started asking for someone who fit the profile more, they got a lot more responses. Huh. Huh. Oh. What? Huh. Oh. What? 
What? <laughs> Amazing. Um, and actually, there was an interview with this um, elderly woman who said that she had seen him and he'd helped her with her groceries and she thought he was a lovely young man. What, the, the youth with the skateboard? No, 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 the, elder, the, uh, the middle-aged one. But I mean, she's a young, he's a young man because he's not in his 80s, oh, okay. I guess. Yeah, but you know enough. what I mean. Um, yeah, there was also an aggressive mugging from a, a while back, so a long while before these had happened. Um, and there was a good eyewitness account of it. And so they, you know, their sketch got even better, their profile got even better, and they got a description of the pie man. The pie man. So they start asking at these at these nursing homes where this is happening, and they say, you know, here's the description. Have you seen anyone like that? And they say, oh, that sounds a bit like the pie man. You know, the man who delivers all of our pies. Oh, a man who goes door to door. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who okay. would have access to nursing homes because he is there for a reason to deliver pies. Right? You see where this is going? Can I just say? Yeah. I'd love to have a pie man. Even if he was a convict, even if he was a potential murderer. If a man came to my door every day and was just like, good day, here's your pie. See you later. I'd be like, well, thank God I'm not an old lady because now I can enjoy this pie. <laughs> I think he mainly delivered to nursing homes though. So you're, you're shit out of luck, mate. Oh, well, just, also, he's dead. <laughs> I just need to fast track my incontinence. And then I can be put straight into a nursing home. Hey, sweet, sweet pie. Yeah, sweet, sweet pie. Free pie. Um, although obviously it wasn't free. Whatever. They paid with their life. Oh, shit. <laughs> you went there. <laughs> it's just the dumbest joke. <laughs> um, yeah, so this pie man, they got an idea for him. And his name was John Wayne Glover. Now, when I was looking him up, the Wikipedia article literally said, the first thing it said was, not to be confused with John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> Which I just think is great. Like that's Not his... to be confused with John Wayne, John Wayne Gacy, Donald Glover. <laughs> None of these people are the Australian serial killer pie man. Um, so they called him and they arranged to meet with him the next day. They just said, hey, man, we've been looking into these murders. Like they weren't like, we think he did a murder. So they arranged to meet with him the next day to interview him because they were like, oh, we just need some information. Oh, definitely not going to arrest you. Oh. Um, but he didn't show up to the meeting that they'd organized. And so they, they call his house and his wife picked up. And she goes, oh, yeah, I was um, actually just about to head to the hospital because um, he just tried to kill himself. Oh, I, I doubt she sounded quite so chipper. <laughs> I mean, he seems like an asshole, so maybe she was that chipper. Hello? <laughs> oh, it's honey, it's the police. <laughs> oh, are you, are you still, is she still dying? All right. Oh, yeah. I'll no, let no. them know. <laughs> just, just went and bloody tried to kill himself, didn't he? <laughs> Cheeky little bugger. <laughs> um, and he'd actually left a suicide note. Try as I might, I could not find it. Oh, man. Um... And then the police sketch and the photo that the that they took of him, the, the eventual mugshot, looks so similar. So I'm going to put them side by side in the show notes so you guys can see. It's it's so clearly him, and it's such like an inadvertent admission of guilt to be like, the police are onto me, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know? So let me tell you a bit about this guy, right? Because it's him clearly him. So he was born in November 26, 1932, in Wolverhampton in the UK. Ooh. Yeah. He um, left school at 14, and guess what he started doing? The cheeky bugger. Stealing. Oh, yeah. Arson? Oh, like just, no, no, no primarily the stealing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he began committing petty theft, and then um, guess which organization he joined? The military. Oh, yeah. The military. Um, but they found out about the petty theft after he joined, and they were like, you can fuck off, mate. <laughs> like, although it was the British military, so they probably just said, bugger off, you bloody... 
Cheerio. Yeah. Um, and then he moved from the UK to Australia, I guess, because he was like, that's where convicts go. Might as well oh, join him. Oh, <laughs> man, come on. Sorry. Matt, c- come on. You can't say that. <laughs> yes, I can. Because I just did. <laughs> you bastard. I know. Although he was a criminal. So I mean, Legit. <laughs> he was a criminal who moved to Australia. Fair. So like, yeah. So he um he carried on stealing when he got to Australia and he was actually convicted of several um assault um counts of assault and indecent assault and aggravated assault as opposed blah, to blah, decent blah. assault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just oh, that assault wasn't very decent. That wasn't a very decent assault. Um and then Is a decent assault like a good spanking? <laughs> when, when the person enjoys it. When it's consensual, is that does that count as decent assault? <laughs> like has your boyfriend F- Ever harmed you in any way? Well, he has committed quite a few decent assaults, quite if you catch my drift. Decent assaults. Like, oh, like fucking high fiving <laughs> in the back of the courtroom. <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> um, I want you to guess. So, given the people that I've I've said he's similar to, mm-hmm. guess who he didn't have a great relationship with? So it was. I, I'm immediately going to say his mother. Mm. He's killing old women. You said Henry Lee Lucas. Come on, he had the worst mother of all time. Worst. Worst mother of all time. And then I said Gein and Kemper as well. I said Gein and Kemper, both of whom were... Well, Gein was just massively obsessed with his mother. Well, yeah, but again, it, he started killing like middle-aged women because of his mother. That's true. Yeah, that's so it true. was like, yeah. that's why it fit the profile sort of thing. Yeah, it was yeah. like, well, my mum's dead and you guys are like the same age as her and look a bit like mm-hmm. her, so I'll do it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he... um, <laughs> So he, he got married. And let me tell you the, the name of his wife. Gay Rolls. Uh, Her first name is Gay, G A Y. Second name is Rolls, as in a bread roll. Gay Rolls. Gay Rolls. <laughs> gay Rolls. Wow. I, okay. So at first I thought you said Gay Rolls, as in like R O L E S, as in like acting rolls. No. No, it's like a a loaf of gay. A loaf of gay. <laughs> a loaf of gay. Is that a common Australian name? Gay. Gay is actually quite a common name in Australia. Really? Well, not as much now but it, it was a common name in australia yeah gay <laughs> i just saw that and i was like there is no way which is also this funny. is real also funny because like um guy is also a really common name yeah gay guy yeah but guy isn't a common last name <gasps> but you could have a woman named gay and a man named guy and together their ship name would be gay guy <laughs> that would be fantastic our ship name is sucks by the way sam and lux sucks um so he so he married this loaf of gay, <laughs> <laughs> and then he moved in with his in-laws. So I'm sorry, I can't get past like a, it's like a, it's like a sort of like a loaf of bread with like in, and the inside is just rainbow colored. And then just like, let me cut you a slice. And as they're cutting, it's just it goes yes as you cut into it. And oh, <laughs> so um, so he got married to this loaf of gay, and he moved in with her in-laws in Mosman, Sydney. Do you, do you remember Mosman from your Sydney days? I was never in Mosman. I grew up in uh, Maroubra and Coogee. 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 Coogee, Coogee. Um, yeah, so guess who he didn't have a great relationship with in that household? His mother again? His mother-in-law, yeah. Oh, his mother-in-law. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So um, his mum did eventually move from the UK to Australia, but uh, I mean, I just want to talk about the murders some more, like, or whatever. She died. Mm, yeah. Like, she died of breast cancer, and apparently he, like, got upset about it, but I don't think that's, like, motive enough, if that makes sense. So it's, like, not an anecdote that I really want to put in, even though I just did. But let's carry on. So, he did fit the profile, because it was him. 
but he fit the profile perfectly. He had a criminal record from his early 20s onwards. He had military background. He normally worked mornings delivering his pies and was done by early afternoon. Mm. So would have been available around 4 p.m. for a murder. And because he was a salesman, there were these three main locations and three main nursing homes that these attacks were happening at. And they were all quite close together, but obviously he would have had to like travel between them. And as a salesman, what do you do? You, tra- you travel. Sorry, I was not prepared for like a question and answer <laughs> section there. Like as a salesman, what do you do? I was going to be like, sell things. <laughs> what are you talking about? No. So um, because he was selling these pies door to door, he was able to travel between those three nursing homes and three areas. Yeah. But they just this on its own wasn't enough evidence, right? Yeah, it's circumstantial. So they put him under watch and they <laughs> this is amazing. They start following him. And they just sort of waited for him to almost kill an old lady so they could catch him in the act before the old lady actually get got killed. Oh, my God. So this is literally like a bad cop movie where they're just That's like amazing. creeping behind him in their cop car. <laughs> I can just picture like Australian police like dressed up as a tree, just like, mate, keep a fucking good eye on him. <laughs> just closing his eyes and being like, you can't see me. Right, he's <laughs> next to a woman. <laughs> no, nah, he's just delivering a pie. Keep following him. <laughs> Yeah, closing his eyes and being like, if I can't see him, he can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> like kids in hide and seek. Um, so, unfortunately, this didn't go to plan. So, they follow him. He comes to this house. A woman opens the door and seems to know him or at the very least be comfortable with him. And she lets him into the house. Oh, no. And obviously, they can't do anything. They're waiting in the police car for... You know, because he ten- he's only done one in-house murder. The rest are in alleys or on the front steps. So they're- obviously they're going to assume that he's going to do that again. But he enters the house. Oh, no. And a long while passes. And then they have, a- they have a smart idea, which actually kudos to them for this. There's some dogs barking in this lady's backyard. And they go, you know what? Let's go up to the door, introduce ourselves as policemen and say there's been a noise complaint. And this gives us an excuse to go in and, and see what's happening, right. check that she's all right. And if she's not, and if he's still there, we can apprehend him. Yeah. So th- that's really smart on the, on their on their part. Yeah. Um, there's no answer at the door, however, when they go up. So not looking good. They look through the window and they see the dead woman. Oh, my God. Her name was Joan Sinclair. And she was just dead in her living room, pretty much just... It was pretty evident from just the, that glance through the window. So, they, yeah. so they're, you know, obviously they know it's him at this point. They've just seen him go in and not come back out and she's now dead. Um, and then they go into the house and they see men's trousers on the bed. And they're like, all right, so he's probably still here. I mean, we didn't see him come out. He could have gone out a back way, but why would he have done that without his trousers? So they keep looking in the house and they find him in the bathtub unconscious. Uh, what? Yeah. With no trousers? Well, I I don't know why it just mentioned the trousers. Maybe he took the trousers off, then walked to the bathroom and took the rest of his clothes off. Right, okay, okay. Maybe, I don't know. Um, But in any case, he's unconscious in the bathtub, so they're like, we've got him, but he's got to be alive. So they obviously apprehend him. He, he isn't dead, thank God. Um, And they search his house. And I say thank God for him not being dead, not because he doesn't... So he can receive punishment. Exactly. And didn't die killing an old woman. And so also they can get justice for all the victims and also the victims of crimes that were similar maybe. So like similar muggings of elderly women, they can rule him out and keep looking for the suspect Mm -hmm. if it wasn't him. 
So it's always better to have like, you know, the, oh, let's get him alive or dead. Like, no, no, bring him in alive and then punish the shit out of him. So what they did after this is they searched his house and they found shoes and lo and behold, they matched the shoe print. From that the makes previous a lot of sense. Scene. Yeah. So the bloody footprints they found in the other in-house murder. Mm-hmm. Um, in his interviews, he said there was no sexual component to his murders. But I'm thinking, eh. Well, I mean, there was no signs of sexual assault, were there? So, but it, it I, was it was probably it's it's replacement killing because he wants to kill his mum. Maybe know, it's an obsession killing. I don't know if it's sexual, uh, relatively Freudian, but the fact I think legally speaking, there was no signs of sexual assault. So, I mean, we'll come back to this in a in a tiny bit. So, um, I'll just continue with what else they found and stuff. Um, so apparently, he told them that he'd only strangled with pantyhose to make sure that they were dead, which is like. I don't know why that would make sure. Because nothing kills quite like pantyhose. Yeah. I don't know. Weird. Um, And really creepy. You know, he only stole like a few dollars off each victim. Mm -hmm. He'd use that money to buy himself a pint at the the club. So like, you know, like a men's club. He'd just go to it and have a pint like immediately after the murders. How gross is that? Kind of got a weird, I've kind of got a weird respect for that. Really? No. <laughs> like, it's just a bit of a laddish move. He's just like, yeah, just killed an old lady. Time for a pint. <sighs> I think I, I deserve this. Worked up a bit of a pie sweat. A, little pie bit and a pint goes <laughs> perfectly with dead old women. So he was tried on the 28th of March, 1990. So again, this has all happened in a year. Like he's been assaulting people and committing th- petty theft for yeah. years and years. But the murders only lasted a year. Um, apparently he was impotent. So that adds to the no sexual motivation. Howsoever. I found um, a source that said he had gerontrophilia, which is sexual attraction to the to elderly. To old women, yeah. Yeah. Oh, to the elderly. Yeah. To the elderly. So it's a paraphilia, but it's not in like the paraphilia handbook or whatever, which yeah. is like a s- sexual kink handbook, essentially. But a source said that he had this. So I'm thinking, where did they get that from? Which is why I'm a bit skeptical. There must be more evidence that's just not out there, maybe out of respect for victims or something like that. Perhaps. So I'm thinking maybe there was an element to it. And also the fact that the trousers were on the bed and then the other clothes weren't. I mean, he got naked. At the very least, he took his trousers off after he'd done it. Maybe before he'd done it. That's what I'm thinking, though. Yeah, it could be before. Um, But anyway, I don't... So that's why I was like, we'll come back to that. So there... The impotence thing. A lot of the, a lot of times, sexual, sexually motivated crimes. You can be impotent and, and kill people and put them in like sexually suggested positions or get sort of a thrill out of it, even though you can't get it up. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we talk about the impotent rage. Yeah. Because you're, you're literally impotent and you're f- feel, filled with rage and you can't really do anything about it other than kill the elderly. Apparently. So the defense, they tried to argue diminished responsibility based on mental illness. They said he had a personality disorder and they got a psychiatrist to testify that he had this built up hostility and aggression against his mother um, that had been around for his whole life. And then when he moved in with his mother-in-law and didn't get on with her, that was like a trigger. And I'm thinking, it's mm, a bit of a stretch. And, and also it's an explanation, not an excuse. Exactly. And that's what the prosecution said. They said, well, no, he was aware of his actions. He knew what he was doing. It's not like he went into a crazed state and then snapped out of it. He was very aware. I mean, he planned it so that it was like the last one on his pie route or whatever. Like, Oh, that's telling. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure, but I'm assuming oh, he okay, finishes right. his pie route and then, and then does it. So he finishes work and then kills yeah. the elderly woman. It's not like he's just all of the, he rings on an old lady's doorstep to give her a pie and it's like all of a sudden has the urge. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's very, it's calculated. Um, so the jury also 
they were thinking along the same lines as we are and they rejected this insanity plea and found him guilty on all charges. So he was sentenced and then after he was found guilty, 15 years in prison, what does he do? Kills himself. Fucking bastard. Yep, he kills himself um, and he's found dead in the shower block because he'd hanged himself. And that is the case of the granny killer, John Wayne Glover. Well, it's kind of, you know, it's relatively karmic that he died by strangulation. Yeah, although... In a, sort of, in a weird cosmic justice Although sort somebody of else should have hit him over the head yeah. with a blunt force object. So he should have... Blunt force trauma. Yeah, he should have, you know, received proper punishment. Yeah, I don't think that... I mean, he suffered for 15 years, yeah, but at the same time, is that long enough for all the murders that he's done? Yeah. Probably mm. not. Yeah. Um, anyway, shall we have a little... Yeah, should we have a little word from our um, our pals at the Cult of Domesticity? Yeah. Have a listen. The Cult of Domesticity is a weekly podcast created by two best friends who share a love of history, true crime, literature, somewhat current events, and everything else in between. Join us every Thursday as we cover things that interest us and hopefully you too. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and most other podcast listening apps. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and we cannot wait to hear from you. Bye. Bye. So that was The Cult of Domesticity. Be sure to check them out. It's another great true crime podcast. Yeah, absolutely. So should we jump into my story? Let's do it. So my gentleman is a guy named Juan Vallejo Corona. Mm, Juan Vallejo Corona. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, 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 this is a, this is a, I love this name. And like, he, so he's, he's from Mexico. It's not quite as good as Gay Rolls, though. <laughs> gay Rolls is, a, is an excellent it's name. It's the winner. But Juan Vallejo Corona, I'm going to try my best. He's from Mexico, and I'm going to try my best to be as minimally racist as possible when I do his accent. So I'll try and not do it very often. Juan Vallejo Corona. <laughs> oh, yeah, this, this could get dodgy, couldn't it? Yeah, sorry about that. So he was born in Mexico in the state of Jalisco in 1934. Jalisco is uh, the most prominent state in Mexico for the production of tequila. Oh, you're literally like... I'm buzzing. I love yeah, tequila. I think you're tequila, so excited. It's amazing. And I'd love to go to Mexico and, you know, actually see the the himidors. See like, all the crimes. See, see all, all the, the murder. All of the tequila crime. <laughs> um, by the way, like the, this 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 um, whole section is rife. Uh, well, actually, no, because all the victims were male. But had there been a female victim, we could have made the whole, why did Juan Vallejo Corona, like, push her off a cliff? Tequila. 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 <laughs> um. By the way, do you have any content warnings for this other than the obvious murder? Well, no, not particularly. There are some mentions of sexual assault, but there's nothing particularly graphic. Okay, cool. The violence is described as being quite graphic, though. Okay. So, um, very little about his life in Mexico is known, but we do know that when he was 16, he moved to America. So, he illegally crossed the border into California and got a job for three months picking carrots and melons. And I didn't really know that you picked melons and I don't know, that's just do, me. Do they grow out of the ground like pumpkins? I don't. I know nothing about agriculture. I'm going to Google it as you can. Are you, you going to Google it? Yeah. Yeah, okay, I'll continue and you Google it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also when I say like picked melons, I, I don't know why, just in my head, I've got this very childlike brain and I see them and he's just like, oh, I'm going out picking melons. And he's just like, that one. <laughs> I want that one. I want that one. That's, what, that's <laughs> the one I pick. They do grow out of the ground. Good Googling there. Should I attach an image of melon growth to the show notes? <laughs> All right, continue. So after this, he moved north to Sacramento. Uh, his half brother had emigrated. Uh, his half brother named Natividad, which is a great Natividad. name. Natividad. Natividad uh, has emigrated to the U.S. several years earlier for work and was living in Marysville in California. So in 1953, Corona moved to the same area. Okay. 
To like hook yeah, up with his to brother. Just sort of be around him. He found work on a local ranch, and it was during this time that he met his wife, Gabriela E. Hermesillo. Or Gabriela E. Hermesillo. Oh my God, Sam, no. Gabriela E. Hermesillo. Stop. <laughs> but continue. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, they married on October 24th, 1953. So the fella, he moved quickly. He locked that girl down when he was, uh, when he was only 19. Yeah, maybe someone should take some hints, Samuel. Perhaps he shouldn't have locked it down because they divorced very soon afterwards. All right. Take back your statement. Hashtag propose Sam. <laughs> I'm so, totally joking. No. Um, Corona <laughs> continued to work on the ranch for a number of years until he met his second wife, uh, Gloria Il Moreno. Ooh. Gloria Il Moreno. <laughs> and they married in 1959. When so he he's was... not marrying Americans, he's marrying fellow Mexicans yeah. that he just ends up meeting in California. Yeah. yeah. They married in 1959 when he was uh, a more respectable 26. And b- before, you know, he was caught, they had four daughters together. Oh, wow. Mm. So, but before this... Um, marriage in 1959. Is he a looker? Can I just ask? I mean, he's not bad looking. Mm. The younger pictures of him, he looks all right. Yeah. His Carry older on. pictures aren't great, but he's been in prison for a number of years. Oh, so. yeah. Prison, um, prison does that to the skin. <laughs> absolutely. It's not great. It gives you sort of vertical line tan lines. <laughs> um, a very formative experience and a horrible experience actually befell Corona. So in late December 1955, there was a massive flood in Northern California. It was one of the worst floods that had ever been recorded in the area. Mm. 38 people were killed mm. and it flooded 150 square miles. Jesus Christ. Huge. And Corona was super affected by these deaths and he suffered a severe like mental breakdown. Isn't that like the size of England? I have no reference, but that doesn't sound right at all. He believed that everyone around him had died in the flood and he was living in a land of ghosts. But only 38 people died. Yeah, but he thought everyone had died. He had a mental breakdown. Oh, okay. Um, I see this as like a weird Mexican sixth sense. <laughs> He's just like, I see dead people. <laughs> it's like, mate, you're not a ghost. It's like, you are just saying that because you're a ghost. <laughs> That's exactly what a ghost would say. I'm literally slapping your face right now. And he's like, this is an excitable ghost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, but seriously, it turned out that Corona was having like a really bad schizophrenic episode. Mm. And in early 1956, he was committed to do it state hospital. Um, and was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. Right. Now, this made me giggle at 4 a.m. in an Uber. <laughs> All right. This mental hospital has, like, the worst name for people who might be suicidal. It's like, I'm thinking of taking my own life. What should I do? Do it. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucked. I'm, not, I'm yeah. so sorry. No, I mean, good, um, good joke. And also accurate. I mean, I wouldn't want to go to a hospital called Do It. Do It. <laughs> um, so uh, this is such a serious subject that I'm taking the piss out of it but this is actually fucked up Corona received 23 shock therapy treatments while no, he was there. no no yeah. no no yes no where he was like and for the first few no pain relief that makes me feel sick brutal that's not okay this is in the 40s no this is in the 50s okay this is the mid mid, mid 50s um, he was then pronounced cured and released oh of course yeah just um, an electric shock through the brain Sorts you right out, right? It's just Absolutely. like rebooting a computer. Yeah, Why don't they just sure. kick him in the face? That'll set that'll set him right. Yeah. Fucking idiots. Because of this time in the system, he was deported back to Mexico. Mm. Uh, but he eventually immigrated back to the US legally with a green card. Oh, he's a persistent fellow. Mm. He also stopped drinking, and uh, supposedly due to it exacerbating his schizophrenia and also his very violent temper. Yeah, I'm sort of I'm I'm kind of liking him at the moment. Honestly, at the beginning, this is a, this is like the American dream story. Mm. Like genuinely, he arrives, 
He has his hardships. He has his problems. But basically, later you'll find out he sort of he went working on a ranch and he worked his way up in the ranks until he was like a supervisor and he mm. was in charge of hiring people. And he's like sorting yeah. his shower. He's like, I'm going to stop yeah. drinking. I'm going to go back to America, but I'm going to do it legally. He knew he had a temper. Yeah, like he's he seems very self aware, which yeah. is you know respect. It doesn't get better. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, this is a murder podcast. Yeah. I, I never assume it gets better. So yeah, he went back to work as a fruit rancher. And as I said, he sort of moved up the ranks and eventually was put in charge of hiring and like supervising laborers and stuff. Nice. Uh, unfortunately, this power also gave him access to vast numbers of unregistered workers. So with this, we get to the crimes. Okie dokie. So it's important to say at this point that Juan Corona <clears throat> was almost certainly a gay man. Okay. He ate gay rolls for breakfast. <laughs> And literally, uh, you know, and he works on a fruit ranch. An archaic word for gay is fruit picker. Oh my god, yes! <laughs> like he actually is. That's really offensive, by the way. So, like, I'm not saying he is. I just think it's funny because he picks fruit. Also, disclaimer: it's like, it's like when Tom Cruise is a fudge packer. <laughs> when Tom Cruise and South Park is actually like in a fudge, fudge factory packing, packing yeah. fudge. <laughs> Um, and he's like, Corona, do I the fruit picker? And he's like, Don't you say that? But basically, he was—he had an incredibly macho like attitude and upbringing, and he really resented this side of himself. I, I think that's something that's quite prevalent. So I'm, you know, uh, I'm a queer myself, and I've been involved in the queer community, and that's—it's it's so disheartening to see people who come from cultures where masculinity is really important, and seeing homosexuality as being like anti-masculine. Yeah, being like weak. But you know, I—I I love this quote from Always Sunny in Philadelphia when it's like two dudes getting married. That doesn't seem very gay to me. It's just yeah. two dudes. <laughs> There's a, I don't know if I'm going to cut this, but we'll find out. There's a stand-up comedian called Steve Hughes, who's Australian, actually linking to your story. Nice. And he says, like, that gay is the new straight. Because he goes, like, uh, what do you want? What do you want, Dave? And he just goes, I want a woman. I want someone soft, sensual, Someone to look after. Someone to look after, you know, someone really kind, like, soft, gentle. So, what do you want, Dave? I want to fuck a bloke in the ass. <laughs> I want a big, hairy bloke to fuck me in the ass. <laughs> I mean, it's a fair point. What gets more manly than two men? Yeah, what's more manly than a cock? <laughs> Sorry, I'd uh, like, yeah. Slight, slight digression, but yeah. yeah, that is very sad that he like felt he had to repress his homosexuality because of yeah. his upbringing. He would project that as anger and violence towards gay men. Mm. Uh, in 1958, Corona's half-brother, Nav- Natividad, came out as gay. No, what did and he do to him? Nothing, no. no, 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 he didn't actually do anything to him. Okay. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let, let you rest easy. And with the, But with that, the relationship like really became strained. Mm. Um, he, he so should have just been like, oh my God, same. <laughs> Snapsies. <laughs> like, <laughs> if your brother's doing it, just like come out as well. Over 10 years later, in 1970, Corona would commit his first incredibly violent crime. Ten years later. Ten years later. Wow. I mean, I imagine there were some less violent crimes, but mm. this is his first big one. Okay. Um, uh, Natividad owned a cafe in Marysville called the Guadalajara Cafe. Oh my God, this is so cute. I know, right? On the morning of February 25th, a young gay man named Jose Romero Rea, Jose Romero Rea, mm-hmm. was brutally attacked by Corona with a machete. What the fuck? In the bathroom of this cafe. What the fuck? He received incredibly severe wounds to the head and upper body. Did he die? No. Good. Now, the authorities didn't know if it was Corona who committed this crime, but they never caught him for it. They could have, they suspected because right. of his known hatred for gay men. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but Corona's half-brother, Natividad, did know that he did it. And mm. he never turned him in. Uh, Rea sued <laughs> the cafe and won a settlement of $250,000. So not only is he being a dick to gay people, but he's also fucking up his brother's business. Yeah. Like, 
Natividad the then sold the business and moved back to Mexico in order to pay for this. Mm. And uh, Poor guy. Yeah. And all of this was so as not to turn in his brother. Uh, so, Corona, later in the same year, I'd be surprised if this was like not connected to the attack, mm-hmm. suffered another severe schizophrenic episode and was recommitted to do it psychiatric hospital. Do it. He just, he did it. Um, a year later, he was released again. Now, this is where shit gets a little bit crazy. So... This is the big stuff. A farmer who used Corona to contract his farm noticed a large hole in this orchard that he was working on, that he had in his farm. Oh, was it the body hole? Oh, yeah. There was yeah. Big, and a big empty hole. But the next day, it had been filled. Right. So this made the farmer like super suspicious, and he notified the police. Good, good on him. Yeah. In this hole, they found the body of Kenneth Whitaker. He had been stabbed multiple times, and his head had been cleaved open twice with a machete. Oh! They identified this as a hate crime as Whitaker was thought to be gay, mm-hmm. given the fact he had gay literature on his corpse. Um, now, this is an example that I hate of the whole like less dead culture, which is appalling. The police just assumed that this man was a sex worker drifter, that he'd been killed so his client could avoid paying. The coroner didn't even do any tests to check for sexual assault. Really? Yeah, the police described it as unsolvable and just sort of left it. What the fuck? Yeah, really messed up. And oh. this, is, this, is the, this is the 70s now. Yeah. Right. I'll, I'll let you seethe for a minute. Yep. Um, it wasn't until four days later that a tractor driver in the same area found another grave containing the body of drifter Charles Fleming. Did the police do anything? The police looked into this. They did. Okay. And they found a third grave. Okay. And a fourth. And a fifth. What? And another. And another. What? And in total, they found 25 graves. What? With 25 bodies. How have I never heard of this? Yeah. All of the victims had been brutally murdered with a machete or a large knife. All of them had specific wounds, a deep puncture to the chest, and two slashes across the back of the head forming an X. Well, like a Jesus X? Like a, you're, you're, not, you're not holy because you're gay? Or like a cross is in like, bad, bad boys for being gay? <laughs> I think it was just two hits. Just right, two okay. hits across the head. Right, okay. Uh, I, I think it just happens. So it wasn't like symbolic. I don't believe it was symbolic. Okay. Although it, it seems weird that it was in every single case. Yeah. But I don't know. That's why I was thinking like maybe um, it's... Some had bullet wounds um, that like, you know, and other, other small wounds. All were face up with mm-hmm. arms above their heads with their t-shirt pulled up over their faces. Weird. Some had signs of recent homosexual activity or <gasps> sexual assault. No. Yeah. So, question. How do you think they connected Corona to these murders i would say that they were like okay well clearly that the first man we found in a hole isn't an outlier who works at the orchard this guy does he didn't have an alibi let's do it there were lots of people who didn't have alibis and lots of people who worked at the orchard they connected him for two main reasons he became a suspect for these two reasons one he left two fucking receipts for meat that he bought signed with his name in the graves no yeah Signed with his name. Jesus Christ. And two, he also buried two bank deposit slips containing his name and even more personal information. No! Yeah. Like, he, he, he could not have made it easier for them. No, he couldn't in terms of being a suspect. So obviously the police like picked him up. But this is very circumstantial. And uh, at best he showed that they probably met them and may have been at the burial site. Right. Right. But while searching the house, police found a blood-stained machete. Because that's not suspicious. Oh yeah, not at all. A pistol, two blood-stained butcher's knives, blood-covered clothing, and an employment ledger that Corona used to keep notes of the workers he'd hired, which contained seven names of the victims. 
So um, I'm thinking, now hear me out, I think he might have done it. I think you might be right. Uh, it came to be known as the Death List, which is a really cool name. Wow. So in 1971, Corona was arrested for the murder of 25 people when, he was, when he was 37. Right. So this is the trial. This is I'm going to run through this quite quickly, but this is just ridiculous. The okay. trial is crazy. It's just so dumb. Okay. Right. So Corona was provided a public actually. Is, Corona was provided a public defender named Roy Vanderhuvel. Vanderhuvel. Yeah, and I literally picture him as the most like Swedish Dutch person. He's like, "Hello, Mr. Corona. I'm defending you. My name is Vanderhuvel." We're being very not. PC in this oh, episode. This is My full name is Reutel van der Heuvel Flugel Bartstumblugel. <laughs> Would you like a schnitzel? Would you like me to defend you? <laughs> Sorry, like, I just love that. Um, so the defense's argument for Corona's innocence was that it was actually Natividad, his half-brother, who committed these crimes. I know, are you giving me a face of, like, shock and horror after all Natividad did for his brother? What yes. Fuck? Yes. What um, a fucking asshole! He was a known homosexual, and also, you're going to backtrack from how much you're clearly in love with Natividad, he had a history of violence. I mean, I still love him, though. Yeah, fair enough. The only issue with this is that for a number of the murder dates, there was no way to prove he was even in the country. Really? As some murders occurred Oh, wait, after that Natividad was even in the country. Yeah, that Natividad was even in the country. Right, after okay, he moved back yeah. to Mexico. Yeah. So the other route was to try and convince the jury that someone was trying to frame Corona. I was thinking that with the receipts and stuff, because it's, it's like too good to be true that the evidence exactly. is just in the grave. Exactly. Um, they also did, so they did a background check and tried to look for signs of insanity as, all, as well. The shock treatments that he received were obviously of particular interest, yeah. as you might imagine. Yeah. Uh, multiple heavy shocks to the brain aren't fantastic for one's mental health. No, I wonder. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> good response, Sam. Um, but this didn't sway the jury, as the judge and the prosecution believed that he knew exactly what he was doing. I mean, yeah, like with yeah. my case, like he clearly has some mental health problems. But if you know what you're doing when you do the crime, you're, you can't have an insanity plea. It's not like you had in, an insane moment. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that's super interesting is actually that there was not a lot of evidence to connect Corona to the crimes. Now, what I've said to you now, it mm. sounds like there is. No, to be fair, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of concrete evidence. It's yeah. all quite circumstantial. Yeah, so the blood that was apparently all over every fucking item Corona owned, uh, it was found to be animal blood. Mm. It didn't come from Corona, nor did it come from any of the victims. Mm. So some of the, a lot, several of them weren't decomposed as much, so much, so they were able to get a blood sample. Didn't match any of them. Right, okay. The blood in Corona's car was explained and corroborated by one of his labourers who injured himself and was given a lift by Corona to the hospital. Okay. Corona even had an alibi. He was on crutches during the time that several of the victims would have been attacked. Okay. Uh, so the pros prosecution really needed to show that there was enough circumstantial evidence to convict Corona. But this was hard because, I'm not going to lie, it's pretty fucking weak. Yeah, also, I was going to say, you can have a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it is never enough, yeah. I think. The, the amount of people who get convicted when they're not guilty, there can never be enough circumstantial evidence. Mm -hmm. Here's some stuff that they had that didn't really help. So they thought it would help, and it just didn't. So right. one witness said he'd seen Corona pick up several of the victims in a truck. But his credibility came into question when he got super confused on the stand and seemed uncertain about what he'd actually seen. Right. Next one. Forensic experts came to say that the kind of wounds on the victims would be the sort of machete owned by Corona. But... It didn't forensically match Corona's machete at all. Oh, okay. Ballistics experts showed the victims were killed with the same type of gun that Corona had. 
but they weren't able to match it to the actual gun in any way. So how are they man- how are they managing to get these experts to claim this stuff? They're just lying. No, they're not lying. They're saying it's the same type of gun, the same oh, type of machete. I see, I see. Nor the blood on the gun. They couldn't link. There's right. blood on the gun. But here's what they did have. So a blood expert said that the blood in Corona's van was actually three types of blood. So they couldn't rule it out as a murder transport vehicle because one right. type of blood is explained, but not the other two. Right. A cigarette butt in one of the graves was a saliva match to Corona. Mm-hmm. Nice. And a new attorney came into the prosecution a couple of months into the trial and correctly realized that witness testimony is what was going to get them through. Okay. So they had 113 witnesses come on. Oh my God. This, this trial was, must have taken forever. It was months and months of testimony. Right. The trial took a long time. But eventually in January 1973, which is like two years after he was caught. Jesus. Uh, Corona was convicted of 25 counts of murder and was given 25 consecutive life sentences. Yeah, bitch. He was initially placed in uh, Vacaville Medical Facility Prison because he had like really bad heart problems. Mm. But while he was there, he was stabbed 32 times in his cell <gasps> because he bumped into someone in the hall and forgot to say excuse me. Really? Yeah. I thought it might have been from gay men who were like... Well, you're, you're, we're both right. Because he didn't, he bumped into someone, didn't say excuse me, and then four men attacked him, and one of the people who attacked him was the person he bumped into's lover. Oh right, okay. In prison, he survived, but he lost an eye to this. Uh, he was granted permission to transfer, and is currently still alive. Really? And is serving his sentence in Corcoran State Prison. He has been denied parole eight times since 1973, but will be eligible again in 2021 when he will be 87. Wow. Yeah. He's been in jail a long time. He's been alive a long time. Yeah, he's fucking, he's still kicking. Yeah, even though like the heart problems and obviously all the stabbings and the eye loss. like Yeah, it's like the opposite of your case. Your guy killed himself, took the easy way out. This guy's, this guy's fucking. He's holding on. He spent some time in prison with like stab wounds and heart problems. Um, Do you actually, do you think he did it though? I really do. Yeah. There are some uh, accounts that he allegedly confessed to a priest to a priest right. while he was in prison. He also said he confessed to one of his cellmates and his cellmate said this is what he said. All of the evidence, I think the blood stuff or the lack of forensic evidence mm. just means that he was good at cleaning or he threw away his clothes or he bleached his van, which he right. didn't because there were two other types of blood in it. Right. All this like animal blood and stuff, the tests, like three of the tests that I read initially said, yeah, yeah, they're not connected to him at all. And then came back a month later with like, oh, we fucked up. It is. Or they said it wasn't connected. They said it was connected and then they fucked up. No, it wasn't. Right. They're clearly not a great forensics department here. Right. I genuinely believe he did it. Okay. Yeah. So that's the case. That is the case of Juan Valer. Juan Valer Garan. <laughs> that was fucked up, man. Did you see me kill all these people? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I mean, you did it. It's, it's done. It's done. It is done. Um, and so is this episode. Nice. Yeah. That was good. That yeah, was better than I my know, segue right? at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so thanks for tuning in to Killing It the Crime Cast. You can follow us on Twitter at Killing It Crime, on Instagram at Killing It Crimecast. <laughs> <laughs> you knew what I was trying to say. You get Instagram, Instagram. <laughs> follow us on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> You know, the bits. And also, you can email us at killingitcrimecast at gmail.com. If you could like and review us on iTunes, that'd be amazing. It really boosts our listens because other people get to see us more if we have more reviews. And if you don't hate us, share us with your friends. Oh, that would be wonderful. If you do hate us, share us with your enemies. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we'll uh, see you next time. 
拜。